Ah, yes, you're listening to Life 101, where we live in faith every day. This is Line Upon Line, where we study God's Word line by line. And I'm your host, Pastor Adrian. Verses 9 and 10 says, Whom shall he teach knowledge? And whom shall he make to understand doctrine? And then he answers, Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breasts. For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little and there a little. So if you're serious about your walk with God and you want to understand true doctrine, it's time to get your Bible and follow along as we study God's Word. It's time to be weaned from the milk. Get your Bible, tell a friend, tell your pastor about this study, and let's get into God's Word line upon line. Our Heavenly Father, we pause before our study, as always, to, to give you praise, to give you thanks, to acknowledge you, Father, and to ask that you bless our study, that you deepen our understanding, that you give us wisdom, Father, as we just rehearse these ancient words of wisdom and bring them into our lives now, and pray, God, that you'll give us uh, insight, understanding, give us knowledge, Father, uh, and give us that wisdom that we can govern our lives by these words. We praise you. We Bless your holy name, and we ask all of this in the name of our Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, so just check on the sound. It's loud and clear. Very good. Okay, good. Excellent. So um, tonight, we're just going to finish off Isaiah chapter 47. We started it last week. It's a short chapter, 15 verses. I covered just chapter 1, um, but we'll get through the rest of it. It won't take long, and uh, Pastor Murray has graciously uh, joined us. So what I'd like to do is, you know, we've been going through these chapters pretty, you know, a good rapid clip every week. And, and some of this information that we're uncovering in Isaiah and the gospel, the good news, uh, for a lot of us it's like different. It's different than what we might have heard before. Uh, and yet there it is in black and white in Isaiah. Uh, what I sort of want to do is just pause and uh, use the balance of the time that we have together just to answer questions. And uh, what I'm hoping to do, and just the technology is uh, not cooperating with me, I didn't get enough time to sit down and work with it, but I wanted to bring Pastor Murray into the study. Hopefully I'll be able to do that, but if not, uh, he's still with us and we'll just figure out a way to make it work. And then I also wanted to integrate Facebook uh, so that I can bring the um, live questions from Facebook into the study as well. 
Unfortunately, as I logged into Facebook, it said I had to verify my account and it wanted me to go through some rigor and roll to verify who I am and I didn't have time to do that either. So um, Murray and I will just look at the chat, uh, Facebook, and I'll also try and monitor YouTube if, in case there are any comments there. And uh, we'll just entertain your questions and, and, and work with them. So let's uh, go ahead and, and get into this study. We will look at um, the rest of chapter 47 and then God willing, we will uh, then have some Q&A, opportunity for Q&A with uh, myself and uh, Pastor Murray. So let's, let's do that. Let's get into today's study with Isaiah chapter 47. So here we see, uh, we, we read this last week, beginning in verse 1, uh, this is now the, the attention turns and it focuses now on the enemy of God's people. This is uh, Isaiah 47 verse 1, uh, directed now to Babylon, uh, specifically the daughter of Babylon. Come down and sit in the dust. This is really a, um, a position of shame, going from glory to shame overnight. And certainly in the Middle East when one sits in the dust and throws dust on their head, it's just a, a real symbol of complete despair and humiliation. So this great power is told by God to come down and sit in the dust, O virgin daughter of Babylon. So this is the daughter of Babylon. So we really have to think of that in terms of a timeline where we would say the children of Israel. So Israel was the man. And then in today's day, we look at his children, the children of the man. So here we're looking at the children of the ancient city or the daughter, sorry, of the ancient city of Babylon. And virgin daughter in the sense that inexperienced with, with defeat, that uh, it's coming to power. Revelation tells us that uh, she, will, she will reign for a short time. But because of this sort of sudden rise to power and never experiencing any defeat, uh, the, 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 the worshippers say, who can make war with, with, with the beast? Um, and, and just seeing this power uh, sees herself as a virgin sit on the ground so go from this high lofty position sit on the ground no throne so the throne is over you've gone from the throne it's not to say there was never a throne uh, she was well suited or seated on the throne she's been knocked off the throne by god to the dust O daughter of the chaldeans so in case we missed it isaiah wants us to be to make sure we're clear this is the daughter of babylon it's the daughter of the chaldeans so we need to just look at our ancient maps and see where was Babylon, where was Chaldea, and who resides there today that's going to suddenly come into this worldwide power. And we saw last week when we looked at Zechariah 5 that between Genesis 10 and 11 and Zechariah 5, all of this wickedness, this, this mystery religion began in Shinar. And then at the end, uh, Zechariah sees this vision where this wickedness goes back to the land where it began. And so where it began is where it ends. And, and all of this will come to a conclusion where it all began. And, and, and so we're expecting now, based on the prophecy, that this area, this specific land, where Satan has zero, really zeroed in, and in a sense tried to make his Jerusalem because he wants to be like the Most High, it's going to come into global power. And then it's going to be destroyed. So it's the people of the Chaldeans for you shall no more be called tender and delicate. And that's, you know, when I read this, I think of these uh, brutal dictatorships 
that uh, usually they come into power through some sort of revolution uh, and they're just ruthless. But once they come into power, they try to behave in a legitimate way. And they, they show up at conference, world conferences, and they show up as leaders, and they're dressed in their suits, and they try to look legitimate. And certainly if you think of the Ottoman Empire, how wealthy this empire was, it was just dripping in, in opulence. And, and so it looked very delicate, it looked very beautiful. But the ruthlessness from the founder uh, Osman right up to all of the uh, sultans and all of the, the, the caliphs who ruled, uh, just how ruthless they were in order to get this position of delicacy and, and, and looks like tenderness and very refined. So that, that's over. This, this facade of, of, the, of the glory of Babylon that everybody's believing in, God is going to knock it out. No more. Instead, uh, they're going to be in the dust and their, their, their brutality will be exposed. This is in contrast or in contradistinction to Jerusalem. The, the, the reversal of fortune goes both ways. Babylon's up on a throne, it ends up in the dust. Jerusalem's in the dust, it ends up on a throne. So there's this reversal of fortune for Satan's city and for God's city. He says here, we're going to read this later, so I won't spend a lot of time on it, but in Isaiah 52, he says, Awake, 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 this is the time to awake, get up, get up, awake, awake, put on your strength, O Zion. Put on your beautiful garments. So one is going to be stripped of her garments. The other is going to be dressed in beautiful garments. O Jerusalem. So again, in case we missed it, it's Babylon, daughter of Babylon, daughter of Chaldeans. It's Zion. And in case we want to spiritualize that away, it's Jerusalem, to be specific. So in case we want to spiritualize Babylon away, no, it's the, it's the children of the Chaldeans. Put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city. So this is the tale of two cities. For from now on, there shall no more come into you the uncircumcised and the unclean. This is exactly what Zechariah saw in chapter 14, where he says, no more Canaanites in Jerusalem. Isaiah is seeing the same thing, that when Jerusalem comes into its glory, never ever again will the unclean come into Jerusalem. And in, in Revelation chapter 20, at the time of the second resurrection, we see Satan make this final thrust, this final gambit, trying to get into the holy city. And God the Father sends down fire from heaven and destroys them all. So God means what he says. When, when Jerusalem is reestablished, never ever again will the unclean come into her. Unfortunately, until that time, the unclean will be overrunning uh, Jerusalem, and they will set up the abomination of desolation within Jerusalem. In verse 2, Isaiah says, shake yourself from the dust. So in, in chapter 47, he's saying to, to the Chaldeans, to, to Babylon, you will no more be called tender and delicate. There's no more throne for you. Get off the throne and sit in the dust. Here he says to Jerusalem, get out of the dust and sit on the throne. Put on your beautiful garments. Shake yourself from the dust. So every, everybody's going to go to their rightful place. And these powerful Babylonians need to go to their rightful place, the dust. And, and God's people in the dust need to go to their rightful place, a place of glory. Shake yourself from the dust. Arise and sit down. So one has to get off the throne. The other needs to be enthroned. Sit down, O Jerusalem. Loose yourself from the bands of your neck. O captive daughter of Zion. So the daughter of the Chaldeans is going to be enslaving 
the daughter of Zion. And, and not until God comes does this setup get reversed. For thus says the Lord, you have sold yourselves for nothing. So you were foolish. You, you sold yourself into this situation for nothing. But you will be redeemed without money. So God is coming with a purpose and he is going to redeem his people. And then just fast forward in Isaiah 52, which is really where we're heading, to understand the gospel according to Isaiah. What is the gospel according to Isaiah? We need to be very specific because Jesus Christ was very, very specific. He says, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that brings good news. So, so Jesus Christ went up and down these mountains in, in, in Judah preaching this good news. He, he, he quoted Isaiah. He, he didn't come with a different gospel. This was the good news that he brought. And Isaiah says, Isaiah prophesied this because he brought good news about Jerusalem, about the, the ultimate end of Jerusalem. How beautiful upon the mountains and the redemption of his people. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that brings good news, that publishes peace. It's, it's such good news because there's so much warfare that is going to be unleashed upon Jerusalem and upon the people of God that the, the one who brings the good news and who's telling us that there's going to be eternal peace, the city of peace will have peace. Uh, just how wonderful uh, of him that publishes peace and bring good news, brings good news of good that publishes salvation. So again, when we read Isaiah, we realize this salvation is very specific. It's not a generic, oh, let's just save all mankind. Uh, it is a very specific salvation, each in his own order. And, and, and the, the identity of the children of Israel matters in the plan of salvation because they have to be the head nation. So God is coming to redeem his people. He's coming to restore his, his people. He's coming to exonerate his people from all blame and to wash all sin from them and to establish them as the head nation. With, and, and the first fruits have been recruited to help in this matter, to put the world right. And then when, when they're in their priestly position, the rest of the world is going to come and bring their wealth, bring their offerings, and come to learn of the God of Israel from the Israelites. He brings good news of good, and he publishes salvation. And in publishing that salvation, what does he say, and who does he say it to? That says, unto Zion, your God reigns. There's been a controversy. The world is not sure anymore. In fact, the whole world thinks that the Babylonian God reigns. And finally, everything is put right. And the God of the universe who hides himself reveals himself. And he establishes that he is the God of Israel forever. He's the mighty one of Israel forever. He's the mighty one of Jacob. He's the holy one of Israel forever. And now the whole world is stunned. And they finally get it. In fact, so much stunned that this is a crisis for the world. So good news is not good news for everyone. The fall of Babylon is bad news for the world. The whole world is going to mourn the loss of Babylon. But the loss of Babylon is the exaltation of Zion. It's the restoration of Jerusalem. And, and that should be a, a, a moment of intense joy for the whole world. But you know what? It's not. And how do we know it's not? John told us. 
And that's why we have to keep going back to Revelation, because we have to keep reading Revelation over and over so that we can get more understanding of what depth was revealed unto John. So he says here in verse 7, Behold, He, that is Jesus Christ our Lord, our Savior, the Savior of Israel, He comes with the clouds, and every eye shall see Him. Does that mean that every eye will rejoice? So the whole world is going to see him. Is the whole world going to break out? Finally, God is here. Every eye will see him. And they also which pierced him. And we know from looking at Matthew 23 and looking at Zechariah 12 that initially Judah rejects Christ. But because of the pain that they've gone through, the catastrophe that they've suffered, they are finally pleading for him to return and they finally acknowledge him. So they which pierced him, when we look at Zechariah 12, they acknowledge him finally, and they rejoice in their king. What about everybody else? Because it's not just those who pierced him that see him. The whole world is gonna see him. Is it good news for the whole world? Let's, let's read. I, I think from what I've heard, I mean, uh, Christmas I think is next week, and everybody's exchanging gifts because joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let the earth receive her king. Isn't everybody happy? Let's read the text together. And all kindreds of the earth, I think that means everybody, all the different tribes, the different nationalities, uh, the different races, everybody who has given themselves over to the beast, because if you resist the beast, you'll probably be dead, be martyred. But those who give themselves over to the beast and are joining in with the persecution of God's people, uh, oh, now the Lord has returned. Joy to the world. It's good news for everybody. And all kindreds of the earth shall wail. Why, why would they wail? Because of him. Oh, that's funny. I thought everybody would be really thrilled that the Lord is returning. Seems to indicate here that good news for Israel is horrible news for the world. And the whole world is going to mourn and wail because of the return of Jesus Christ. And what does John say? Even so, amen, let it be, because of the corruption and the evil that they've given themselves over to, and the, the wickedness that they have done, and the pain that they have caused, and the slaughter that they've been engaged in, and the captivity and enslavement that they've endorsed, even so, amen. So good news is not good news for everybody. It's good news for Israel, and it's good news for Judah. Back to Isaiah 47. Take the millstones and grind meal. So this is this glorious uh, daughter of the Chaldeans who's been in such a glorious position is now reduced to slavery. She that enslaved has now been reduced to slavery. Take the millstones and grind meal. So work like a servant. Uncover your locks, make bare the leg, uncover the thigh, pass over the rivers. So this is very hard now to interpret, uh, just because we're in a very different time. Uh, let me see if I can explain this. It's going to be very, very difficult, because if I said to a woman today, bury your leg and uncover your thigh, she would be thrilled. In fact, you don't even have to tell them. They walk up and down and they're naked. And nakedness with tattoos everywhere is a wonderful thing. It's a sign of great glory and sophistication. But there was a time when women were modest, and the idea of, of exposing your bare leg 
and, and maybe by accident your leg gets um, exposed or maybe your garment is torn and your leg is exposed, this would be a great shame. It would, it would be highly immodest. And so this wonderful, glorious ruler is now in the dust and her, her nakedness has been revealed. And, and, and uh, it is a great shame upon her that there is no glory. Your nakedness shall be uncovered. And, and when God says that, there's an implication here of the wickedness that she has been hiding. She's been just in purple and gold and, and, and great jewels and perfumes and just looks so gorgeous and just so seductive and everybody buying into her glory. And when the nakedness is revealed, it means that the great extent of the evil, all of the slaughter and the enslavement and the high price that was paid for her to have this glory, uh, all of that has now been revealed. Your nakedness shall be uncovered. Yes, the shame, your shame shall be seen. And I will take vengeance. So God is, God is a God of vengeance. Sometimes people think that God cannot do anything harsh, that he's just so loving all the time and he just wants to give the whole world a hug. Not really, no. He's a God of vengeance. And so we wait for him and we're patient. But when he comes, uh, we want him to, his wrath to pass over us and it's going to land. And it's going to land on the head of the wicked. And he says here, he'll take vengeance, and I will not meet you as a man. He's coming as God in his glory, and he's going to unleash his wrath, and it's going to be an unfair battle. It's God against man, but it's God taking vengeance for the wrath that has been, been done to his people. Uh, goes on, uh, Isaiah writes, As for our Redeemer, our Redeemer, the Lord of hosts is his name, the Holy One of Israel. So the Holy One of Israel is his name. He's the Lord of hosts. He's, he's, he's the, the host of a great, or the Lord of a great army. He's coming with all his angels and all his saints. He's the Lord of hosts, the Holy One of Israel. So, so his, he's the Lord of hosts, that's his name. And to be more specific, his name is the Holy One of Israel. This matters, we have to understand, he's the Holy One, not of the world, but he belongs to Israel. He's the God of Israel exclusively and forever. This really matters. We, if we're going to preach the gospel, this is what we have to preach. That if you're not in Israel, you're a dog. You've got to repent and you must be grafted into Israel to matter eternally. Otherwise you are nephesh and your life will come to an end. Nephesh meaning just a soul, a living soul. That when God, in, in Genesis, if you read, God made the different kinds, these living souls, and they all die. It's only man that has the opportunity to live forever. And God has set up his, his plan for eternal life in such a way that you cannot live forever unless you are in Israel. And that's made very clear at the end of the book in Revelation chapter 21. So as for our Redeemer, the Lord of hosts is his name, the Holy One of Israel. So now that we know his name, Matthew 24 begins to make more sense. He says, then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted. So, so you represent something that they hate. What do you represent? The God of Israel. So whether you are a physical descendant of Israel, or you have been grafted in, and you're part of the first fruits army of Israel, the fact that you represent Israel is a hateful thing. In a world that just wants to be no borders, no wall, 
no USA at all. They hear them chanting, no borders, no wall, no USA at all. Are, are they crazy? <laughs> anyway, uh, they shall deliver you up to be afflicted, and they shall kill you. Why? And you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. So we have to understand what is it about his name that causes us to be so hated. It's because we understand that he is the Holy One of Israel. And we are going to be preaching the good news to Israel and the bad news to anyone who dares touch Israel. And when I say Israel, I mean the house of Israel, meaning the whole house of Israel, meaning the tribes of Judah and the tribes of Israel. So you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And in Revelation 17, verse 6, we see this. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. What is it that the saints are doing? They're preaching the good news of the Holy One of Israel returning to redeem Israel. And they are warning all the Gentiles to be very careful about what they do with Israel. And, and that just re reminds me, actually, there's another scripture that I wanted to look at. And I'll just, uh, I'll, I'll come back to it. But it's a very interesting scripture. I believe it's in Matthew 13. Let me, actually, while, while I think of it, let me just check very quickly, see if I can find it. Matthew 13. See if I can find it here. Um, very, very interesting scripture. And I believe it's here in Matthew 13. And I don't see it right now. I, I think when, when Pastor Murray comes on, uh, it'll give me a chance to search for it. I'll find a very, very interesting scripture. Uh, it'll, it'll jump off the page. Uh, actually, maybe it's, yeah, I think it's Matthew 13 or Matthew 10. I'm, I'm going to find it. It's, it's, in, it's on my mind. Um, so they're, they're, she's drunk with the blood of the saints because she hates what the saints represent. And she hates what the saints are preaching because it's in, it's in contrast to everything she stands for. That as long as the saints are alive and preaching, all eyes should look to Jerusalem. She wants all eyes to look to her and for Babylon to be that holy city, and for Babylon to be that exalted uh, position, in that exalted position. But the saints are saying, no, you're gonna, be, you're gonna come down. The Lord is going to destroy you. Uh, it's Matthew 10, 22. That, that's, uh, thank you so much, uh, Pastor Murray. I believe, I believe that's actually right, Matthew 10. I, it's just on my mind here, so. Uh, let's see. Nope, that's actually not the one. I'm, I'm going to find it after. It's, it's close, and I think it is in Matthew. It's either Matthew 10 or 13. Pardon me, it's just on my mind, and I really want to find it. It's a passage that says, um, the gospel will be preached to the Gentiles um, as a witness against them. And I just want to find that. Uh, let's find that. Here it is. Uh, Matthew 10. So it's Matthew 10, 18. Okay, so it says here, and I, let me just see if you can read this. Matthew 10, 18. And you shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake. And we're going to be preaching the gospel. But what is it that we'll be doing? We'll be preaching the gospel for a testimony against these kings. We're not preaching to try to convert them. 
This is the testimony, the gospel, the good news for Israel is bad news for these leaders. And somebody has to have the courage, somebody has to be filled with enough Holy Spirit that we can look them in the eye and say, you are wrong, you are dead wrong. What you're doing is wrong. And your window is closing. And so this is a test, the gospel is a testimony against them, but who else is it a testimony against? It's a testimony against the Gentiles. It's a, the, the, the good news is, is a testimony, it's a witness. When, when Matthew 24, this is the same uh, author, in Matthew 24, he says, that, and this gospel, Matthew 24, verse 14, will be preached in all the world for a witness. And somehow we think this is good news. And it's going to be welcome news. It's going to be horrible. It's going to be hated news. Because in a world that says we're all the same and we're all equal and everything's the same, we're saying no. There is a holy people. And you should not touch those people. And you should not be persecuting them. And Jerusalem doesn't belong to you. It belongs to them. And God is going to restore them in that land. And all of this has to be said. And God is the Holy One of Israel forever. Because this has to be said as a testimony against the Gentiles. So this, this notion that God is for everybody and let's all just hug and sing together and we don't need borders because everybody just loves each other. No, there are bad actors in the world. And there are some people who are following the devil's agenda. And it's probably not a good idea to just open your home to everybody. Probably a good idea, this side of the millennium, to have locks on your door and, and, and borders on your country. So here, this, what we see in Revelation 17 with the woman who's drunk with the blood of the saints is because the saints and the woman stand for two totally different things. One is exalting Satan as the Most High, and the other is exalting the Holy One of Israel as the God over the whole universe. So he wondered at her with great admiration. Um, Isaiah 47, verse 5, back to Isaiah. Sit, sit in silent. We, we, you, you, we've heard enough from you. But we can't shut her up. So we preach the gospel, she slays us. But now God comes and says, be quiet. And get you into darkness. O daughter of the Chaldeans. Isaiah doesn't want us to be mistaken and think it's somebody else. It's, it's in the present time, the derivative, the descendants of the Chaldeans. And Isaiah, by repeating this, he's saying, don't spiritualize this away. Don't say uh, Babylon is some sort of spiritual city that's just all over the world. No, it's the original city. And it's all come back to that original city. And the people in that city are descendants of the original people. And, and that city matters because Nebuchadnezzar's vision was all about that city. He was the head of gold. And every empire that followed him took over that city. And in the end, it's very clear because Assyria and Babylon fall together that that great city of Babylon comes under the control of the Assyrians, as it did under the Ottoman Empire. So the, the great Ottoman Empire that just was so vast, one of the things for sure that it had control over was this great city of Babylon. And then it died in 19, um, 1921. And now it's coming back. Turkey is saying and then from there, he wants this global vision. And we're just, nobody is seeing what's going on here, how powerful this, the, the, their army is. Meanwhile, Europe is falling apart. Sit you silent and get you into darkness, O daughter of the Chaldeans, for you shall no more be called the Lady of Kingdoms. 
So, so the, the queen, the, the, the lady that sat over all of this, and that always that goes back to Semiramis. That's why that crescent moon and star is an ancient symbol. Because it was Nimrod was the star, the moon was Semiramis, and that was a sexual symbol of the two together, as is the Star of David, which has nothing to do with David. All of these symbols are pagan, the, the Christian cross, the Tea of Tammuz. All of these symbols are pagan symbols that go all the way back to the original city of, of Babylon. And so this lady now, this Semiramis concept that has ideas, people die, ideas don't, so these ideas have come all the way down, been consolidated, all of these different religions of this Middle Eastern area, they would all come to Mecca with all their different gods in different uh, languages, uh, they would all come there and worship all these different gods that come from the original Babylonian city, and all Muhammad did was consolidate all of these different religions into one. But it, it still has these clues, the crescent moon and star, that make us know this goes back to the Lady of Kingdoms. And this is where it ends, the Lady of Kingdoms. She's going to sit, her ideology is going to sit over all of these other kingdoms. But that's going to be, a, when Christ comes, no, that will never be done again. But God explains what happened. How, how did she get into this exalted role with everybody accepting her religion? God explains, I was angry with my people. God was very angry with his people. They were into a covenant with him and they betrayed him. And they went whoring after all the other gods. And so God was angry with his people, and he has polluted his inheritance. So God did this. Israel is God's inheritance. His heritage is Israel forever. But because he was angry, and, and because he's a righteous God, and he has to do what's in the covenant, he polluted his inheritance. He allowed it to happen. And the abomination of desolation was set up in the holy city. And God, even though this is his inheritance, he allowed it. And that's what we saw in Habakkuk when he says, I'm going to raise up the Chaldeans, and they're going to come and slaughter my, and enslave my people. God allowed this to happen. And, I, and I, have, I was the one who gave them into your hand. And you know, even when you look at the uh, Ottoman Empire, how it, how it came to be, uh, this man called Usman, who in Latin is Ottoman, the, we, sh we should really call it the Usman Empire. Um, he was just this great powerful warrior, relentless, incredible uh, fighter, and with his small army, and then he accepted Islam, and that enabled him, because of the jizya and the booty, to really recruit a whole vast empire of people who would fight for him because of the ideology. But when he went to slaughter the Byzantine Empire, it was well fortified. It, it had walls, and it was very well fortified. And it was just this freak storm with flash flooding that changed the course of the river so that the way the Byzantine Empire was being protected became irrelevant because the river changed course. And so Usman was able to get into the Byzantine Empire, which was very weakened because of all of the fighting with the Persians, uh, and then they were just able to slaughter them and take them over. And so because of that freak storm, you could say, you know what, God gave the empire to Usman. And, and we've seen that like in World War II, where we see these storms that allowed, that allowed the British to take, to take control. So God is the one that gave them into your hand. And, and I guess we'll see something like this again in the future, where God is the one raising it. It's his work. He's the one doing this. And he gave them into your hand, and you showed them no mercy. Upon the ancient have you very heavily laid your yoke. So obviously you have no care. You don't have any regard for them as human beings. And even the oldest person you just treat horribly. And you said, 
I shall be a lady forever. So I'm going to enjoy this, this, this position of control over all of the other kingdoms forever. So that you did not lay these things to heart. So obviously somebody was telling you these things. Somebody was preaching the gospel to you as a witness. Somebody was warning you, but you didn't lay it to heart. Neither did you remember the latter end of it, even though it was told to you. You said, no, I'm going to be in this position forever. And here we see that it doesn't last forever. In Revelation 18, a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone, cast it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence shall that great city Babylon be thrown down, and shall be found no more at all. And notice how specific John is. It's not a kind of a system that's kind of nebulous and it's all over the world called Babylon. It's the specific city. That great city, the original city that became great again, that great city will be torn down with violence. And the voice of harpers and musicians and of pipers, and just look at all the, the uh, sophistication and the culture that's here, shall be heard no more at all in you, and no craftsman of whatever craft he be shall be found any more in you, and the sound of a millstone shall be heard no more at all in you. So you're not going to be called a lady anymore. Your sophistication, your glory, it's over. Back to Isaiah. Therefore, hear now this, you that are given to pleasures. And so if you see these people and their ideology from this area, this city, that are going to be in power, that have given themselves permission to rape and to steal and to lie and to change wives like they change shirts and to uh, take advantage of children. Who would, who would harm a child? Who would harm a child? But they give themselves to have pleasure from babies. What is this? How can you do this and think this is normal? That this is right? That, that the God of the universe, when you're destroyed, people commit suicide when they suffer these things. That you see this and you think it's okay? You hear this, you that are given to pleasures, that dwells carelessly, like you don't care about anybody, like nothing can touch you, that says in your heart, I am and none else beside me. I shall not sit as a widow, neither shall I know the loss of children. And this is why we call it the, the virgin daughter. She just has never had any calamity. She's never suffered. And he says, I am, and none else besides me. God says that. And leading up to, uh, to chapter 47, God repeatedly says, I am, and there is none else beside me. I'm your Savior, and there's no more beside me. I am God, and there is none else beside me. And now we see this being inspired by another being, Satan, who wants to be like the Most High. And so because I am God, Satan saying, I'm God and there's none beside me, when he puts his human uh, Nimrod proxy in place, that king can say, this God, and there's no God beside him, has put me in place, and therefore there can be no king beside me. I'm the greatest. And so we need to be very careful when they say, there is no God but Allah. Because that rules out Jesus Christ. That rules out God the Father. And God says, there's none, there's me and there's none beside me. And so who is saying this that says, hey, my God is God and there's none beside him, and he's made me ruler, so there can be none beside me. I am and there is none else beside me. I shall not sit as a widow. So all these kingdoms that I have, neither shall I know the loss of children. 
but these two things shall come to you in a moment, in one day. And that's exactly what John saw in Revelation. The loss of children and widowhood. It's going to come in one day. They shall come upon you in their perfection for the multitude of your sorceries and for the great abundance of your enchantments. Again, this is ancient mystery religion that has just cascaded down to the modern time. We put some cosmetics around it, but God calls it for what it is ancient sorceries, ancient enchantments. So this greatness that we see, David looked at this, and he saw this evil, and he says to himself, when I thought to know this, it was too painful for me, until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their end. Surely you did set them in slippery places. You cast them down into destruction. And this is where the confidence of the saints comes from, that despite the glory Despite the great power of these Babylonian kingdoms and the chief Babylonian kingdom, the saints can preach the truth because of this understanding that came to David. That God has set them in slippery places. In, in a moment, everything collapses for them. But we have eternal life. You cast them down into destruction. How are they brought into desolation? As in a moment, they are utterly consumed with terrors. And that's what John says or Christ actually says it, but John writes it in Revelation, that uh, the patience of the saints, he says, here is the patience of the saints. And, and John says, I'm your companion in tribulation, and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ. That we have to have this understanding that David had, that this is all over, for the, they're like a flower. They're going to bloom and look glorious, and then they're just going to wither and, and disappear. And that's the understanding the saints have to say, have to have. Back to Isaiah as we wrap up here. For you have trusted in your wickedness. You have said, none sees me. <laughs> they know they're doing wickedness. You can't do these things to human beings. Even if you hate a human being, truly we're wired in such a way that there's an empathy, that, that even animals shouldn't suffer. But you've done all of this and think that nobody sees you. Your wisdom and your knowledge, it has perverted you. Exactly. Exactly. When you start reading these texts and you think that this is the God behind this, this is your wisdom, it perverts you. And anybody who is devoted to this text becomes perverted, becomes a pedophile, becomes a, poly poly a polygamist, becomes an adulterer, becomes a whoremonger, because all these things are, becomes a murderer, becomes a liar because all these things are endorsed by the scriptures. So your wisdom and your knowledge, it has perverted you. And you have said in your heart, I am, and there's none else beside me. Therefore shall evil come upon you. Calamity will come upon you. You shall not know from where it came. This is how God, God is furious. And he's going to act and he's going to bring this whole system down. And mischief shall fall upon you. This is the ancient text. And, shall not be, and you shall not be able to put it off. And desolation shall come upon you suddenly, which you shall not know. And this is the power, this is the understanding that the saints have. John writes, here is the patience of the saints. He who lives by the sword must die by the sword. And this is what the, the saints are looking at the sword and looking at the slaughter. And they're saying, go ahead, do your worst. But remember, he that lives by the sword must die by the sword. So you won't be able to put it off. Desolation shall come upon you suddenly, which you shall not know.
Stand now with your enchantments and with the multitude of your, of your sorceries wherein you have labored from your youth. If so be, you shall be able to profit. If so be, you may prevail. So go ahead and invest in your ideology and knock yourself out and I hope it works out for you. But Isaiah is saying here, you're up against the God of the universe. He's a God that hides himself and he's certainly hiding himself from Jacob and he's certainly hiding himself from Judah. But when he reveals himself, he's going to act on their behalf. So you better know what you're doing and you better be sure. Has anybody uh, died and gone to this paradise where they've just had such pleasure that's just so wonderful that for eternity they get to rape the same virgin over and over and they just raped her and then she becomes a virgin again and then they rape her again and she becomes a virgin again? Uh, how does that work? Has anybody actually gone and done that and come back and said, I've been doing this for a thousand years and it's just wonderful and uh, you should die too and join me? Or are we just guessing and hoping that that's in, in fact what happens? You are wearied in the multitude of your counsels. Let now the astrologers, the stargazers, the monthly prognosticators stand up and save you from these things that shall come upon you. And you remember when Nebuchadnezzar had this vision and he just saw everything and he saw the statue collapse and, and, and it was destroyed. And, and a great wind just came and blew it all away and a, and a mountain came up instead that he was troubled and, and he needed help and he called for the astrologers and the stargazers and the prognosticators of the Chal and the Chaldeans of, of Babylon to say help me understand what all this is what, what all this means I'm troubled well these, these are the, the descendants of these people behold they shall be as stubble exactly what Daniel saw exactly what Nebuchadnezzar saw. They shall be as stubble, the fire shall burn them, they shall not deliver themselves from the power of the flame, there shall not be a coal to warm at, nor fire to sit before it. Thus shall they be unto you, with whom you have labored, even your merchants from your youth. And again, if we read Revelation 18, we see in Revelation 17 and 18, we see what happens with all these merchants that have made themselves rich off Babylon. And that's what we're seeing now with this globalism. When, when, when it talks about the merchants being rich, we're, we're basically losing the middle class. That, that what socialism brings is poverty. But not just poverty. It brings enormous wealth. So you end up with this two-tier system where the majority of the population are, are dirt poor. They're slaves. And the elite are in incredibly rich, but it, it's sold, hey, socialism, everything needs to be free, everybody is equal, everybody needs to have everything, and it's unfair for the rich to have things, and they shouldn't, be, even if they work hard, they shouldn't have it, we should all have it, and then we buy into this, and what happens? The elite get incredibly wealthy, the poor get poorer, and the middle class is destroyed, and that's our future no more middle class. And so the merchants, the Googles of the world, the Facebooks of the world, the tw uh, Twitters of the world, and any other of these great merchants that are coming in the future, Amazons of the world, they're going to be incredibly wealthy because they're going to agree with this globalist system. And so these merchants, and we have to read in Revelation 17 and 18 what happens to these merchants ultimately. They shall be unto you with whom Thus shall they be unto you with whom you have labored, even your merchants from your youth. 
They shall wander, everyone to his quarter, none shall save you. So that brings us to the end of uh, Isaiah chapter 47. What I want to do now is just uh, spend some time with you and just uh, look at the text, uh, anything that we've covered. Remember we started in Isaiah 1. I read all of chapter 1 and the first part of chapter 2. And I said the whole story of Isaiah is right there in the first chapter and the first part of the second chapter. And in fact, the whole story of the Bible, in a way, is you know, the majority of the story of the Bible is right there. And then we went from there to chapter 40 that begins with, hey, comfort my people. This is good news. And it begins very much the way the New Testament begins, because that's the New Testament portion of the Bible within the Bible. And that's what we said Isaiah was, the Bible within the Bible. So we have, uh, we, we have gone from chapter 40 41, 42, 43, 44, 45, 46, and now 47. So we would, I think we've done nine chapters, eight in uh, Isaiah, second Isaiah, plus chapter one. So I wanted to just see if there's any uh, questions or comments. And what I'll do is just check here and see if I can get Pastor Murray on. But please uh, go ahead in the chat and the Facebook, and I think we'll check YouTube as well and just answer any questions. So just give me a moment while I see if I can get Pastor Murray on. Hi there, Murray, are you there? Okay, I'm good. Now I just need to know if, uh, let's see here. Can you on the chat, tell me if you can hear Pastor Murray. Uh, can you go ahead and talk, Murray? And Yeah. yeah. Yes. Uh, right I, I just want to see if people heard you maybe on the chat no cannot hear Murray okay Murray let's do this if you could call me on my cell phone and then what I'll do is uh, let me just get rid of this echo uh, and then what I'll do is I will um broadcast your your um, your voice and that that'll work much better so we'll just hang on a bit and um and just please uh, fire up your questions while I do this and then we'll be able to talk through them uh, Pastor Mir was just saying something there about Matthew 10 and the different translations, so we need to um, talk about that. So we'll just—I'll just wait till I get him on audio, and then we'll be able to uh, share his comments. There we go. Hi there, Murray. Hello. Okay, great. I'm just going to wait to uh, get a speaker so that you'll be a little bit louder. Um, 
let's just see here. Okay. I want to get onto Facebook. Are you uh, able to monitor the chat, Murray? Yeah, I'm monitoring. Okay, great. Uh, no I comment yet. Just uh, talking about it. All right. Uh, there's a little bit of a delay there, so I am going to um, see if I can get into Facebook here. And uh, go ahead and talk now, Murray. Let's see how that's coming through. Sure, yeah. Um, yeah, that's again, great. Um, if everybody can hear me, then I'll just uh, give us a note on the, on the chat room. Okay, yeah. So just on the chat, please uh, let us know if you can hear uh, Pastor Murray. You should be able to hear him now. Yeah, uh, and unfortunately, you're not going to be able to see him. Uh, sorry about that. Just uh, the way this is working right now, I can't get his visual. Um, no comment, no feedback yet. Okay, I, I'm just getting feedback here that uh, can't hear you, but now now they, they should be able to hear. Let me just confirm. Oh, they hear, yeah. Yeah, they didn't hear me fine. Okay, good. All right, so you were just talking about Matthew 10. Can you go back to that? And I'll just, I'll just bring yeah, that sure. up here. Yeah, while you're, while you're going to Matthew 10, verse uh, 18, uh, it's good to point out that sometimes uh, the different versions of the Bible uh, alter meanings. Uh, whether intentional or unintentional, let's, let's leave that up to uh, everybody else to decide that. But um, the New King James Version here, which is typically fairly close to the King James, actually makes a, a, a quite a different connotation here in verse 18. You had read it from the King James where you said... Uh, uh, you were brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony against them and against the Gentiles. The New King James, and I assume some of the other versions as well, change it to as a testimony to them yes. and to the Gentiles, which is a, a different connotation than a testimony against them. Uh, but when you read verse 19, uh, but when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak. And that really clears up that it definitely was a, a testimony against them, not to them. Right. Uh, very good. Thanks for bringing that. And also when we look in um, Revelation, in chapter 1, verse 9, uh, John writes, I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation. So, so John is saying, look, I, I, I'm in this with you. I'm your companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ. So he's basically, he's been there. He's, he's, he's with us. We have to go through this tribulation. We're also partners in the kingdom, but also in the patience, because we have this understanding that David had. And he explains that he was in, in the island that was called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. So this testimony of Christ, it's not a party. It's not like, hey, I get to preach the gospel. It, it's something that's going to be absolutely hated. And so very clearly when Christ is saying, you're going to be hated, but this is going to be a testimony, um, I think whether it's to or against, as you, as you said, uh, Pastor Murray, when you read it in context, uh, it becomes very clear that um, it's not a welcome message. It's a message that uh, we will be persecuted for. Absolutely. We do have a question um, from Sister with Love, uh, Marion in North Carolina. Uh, she uh, goes to uh, Isaiah chapter 19, verse 24, and has the following question. She says, Hi, Adrian. Uh, last week, you spoke of Europe being destroyed. 
Uh, question number one, who will destroy them? And then referring to Isaiah chapter 19, verse 24, she says, it says Israel will be third with Egypt and Syria. What does that mean? Okay. So let me take the second question first, where it says that Israel will be third with Egypt and it, uh, it doesn't say Syria, it says Assyria. So there's right. a difference between Syria and Assyria. Um, that we're looking at, in my understanding here, we're looking at the king of the north and the king of the south who hate each other and who've been fighting against each other and who have been trampling and fighting over Jerusalem and, and, and fighting each other over Jerusalem. That these who have been enemies against each other and also enemies of uh, the people of God, the God's, God's chosen people, that God is going to come and bring all of this hostility to an end. And, and Satan will be put away, the deception will be gone, and, and these people will convert. They will be going to Jerusalem and keeping the feast, they will be bringing their offerings, and, and there will be an acknowledgement that they were wrong, and that God is the God of Israel. And so it just shows that eventually, the whole world, beginning with the immediate powers around Jerusalem, is going to acknowledge that God is the God of Israel. So hopefully that answers that. The first question, uh, you mentioned the destruction of Europe and uh, who will destroy them. Uh, what I was saying there was, uh, traditionally, we have said that it, it's going to be a European beast power. I don't think destruction of Europe is, is the right word, if I use that word. Uh, maybe certainly destruction of European culture. But there will always be a Europe. Those countries will be there, those peoples will be there, but they will be overrun, and we're seeing that now. So if you just sit back and do nothing, nobody lifts a sword, nobody does anything, but we just watch. And we watch as the democratic nations allow people to come into their countries and not accept their values. There is no check to say, like, do you agree that this is civilized behavior and this is the way you should treat women or there's no check for that just come in and uh, we need labor and we don't we're not having children so you come in and uh, and they have you know per per male uh, let's say somewhere between 15 and 25 children per male that comes in and each Western male might have between zero and two children and we just let that play out and do nothing, no, no bad acting, no slaughter, no enslavement, just do nothing, just let the democratic process run its course. The very people, the very hosts, will be voted out of power. And the new people who are coming in and having 10, 15, 25 children per male, um, and then Let's put in some bad acting as well, where there's going to be the rape of the host women and uh, the impregnation of these women. And thus, we have 1,400 years of history to look at all of this to see, hey, this is consistent. This is a pattern. And uh, and and jihad, and and a desire to be in control. Then clearly, we can see that if we, it's just very clear, like we'd have to be like denying reality to say that these countries are in trouble. And there's going to be, there's going to change hands, and there's going to be a new people, a new sheriff in town. Uh, so when I say destruction of Europe, I don't mean Europe is going to disappear, but I do mean the Europe that we've known up to now, 
and even look, let's take Paris as a, a microcosm of what I'm talking about. Uh, in the past, you said, I'm going to Paris. Ooh, wow, city of romance, city of culture, city of sophistication. Now I'm going to Paris. It's, have you been to Paris lately? Uh, it's, it's pretty miserable. And you can see the French culture disappearing. So that's what I mean by the destruction of Europe. Hope that answers. Yeah, and you can see that, that uh, obviously Europe is on the fast track, uh, but even here in Canada, we can see the beginnings of that uh, with our uh, with our elected officials uh, changing their their the we, we makeup of our elected officials is definitely changing so much so that our our minister of my, uh, immigration uh, has only been here for less than ten years. Yes, exactly. And he's passing policies that are quite um, devastating to the host Canadian population. Uh, I, I just uh, Marion did say that that did answer her question. I, uh, I have another question here, but perhaps you might want to go to uh, YouTube or Facebook. Yeah, and I'm, I'm actually I haven't looked at YouTube, but I'm looking at Facebook. And the way Facebook Live works, it's not like once it's recorded and it's and it's then there, I can go back and see the past comments. I can only see a few comments um, in real time. So the comments just disappear. I think it shows me five at a time. So I have to keep my eye here. But I saw a question that said something like, um, so the ancient city of Babylon is the Babylon spoken of the Bible and not Rome. Uh, is, and that was a question mark. And I would say from my perspective, this is just you know one guy who's reading the scriptures and studying the news and looking at geography and history. Uh, from my perspective, and I forget who, who asked that question, uh, it seems to me that the Bible supports that the ancient city of Babylon is the future city of Babylon that will be destroyed. And that Nebuchadnezzar's image was all about who controls that city of Babylon. And that's why I wouldn't count Rome, that the Bible never actually says Rome. We read Rome into the Bible. And so Rome is certainly one of the beast powers, because John says one is, five, five have fallen, one is, and another is yet to come. And so that one that is or was during John's time was Rome. But that would but Nebuchadnezzar did not have visibility to Rome because Rome never never controlled the ancient city of Babylon. But certainly Nebuchadnezzar did, uh, certainly the Persians did, certainly Alexander the Great did, and then after Alexander the Great the Ottoman Empire, or the Islamic empires, and certainly the Ottoman Empire, they all took control of the ancient city of Babylon, which is in Iraq uh, today. And so that belongs to the Muslims. And then that died, the Ottoman Empire died, and now it's coming back to life. And so it makes more sense to me that Nebuchadnezzar had a, a line of sight to these two Islamic empires. And, and then John also says that one is, and he says another is yet to come. So it's not rich, it's another one. And that one that's to come has two heads. It's the seventh, but then there's an eighth, and the eighth is of the seventh. So whatever that seventh is, it dies and it's resurrected and it has nothing to do with the sixth. So, so Rome cannot be the sixth, the seventh, and the eighth because it doesn't have three resurrections or, three, or two resurrections, it's resurrected once. And the one that is that John saw, he says another is yet to come. And certainly for those people who were listening to John, who, who heard him preach, who read his letters live, and all of their descendants 
that whole area, uh, what we call the um, Asia Minor, all of them were slaughtered by the Islamic empires. And we call it Turkey today, the Turks, uh, which was the Ottomans. Uh, so they, those people who read the original scriptures, they were subjugated by the one that was to come. So, so that would help, that's how I would answer that. But again, I'm going to say all of this because it's prophecy, because we're trying to read what's going on, what's going to happen in the future. I'm speculating, and so it's for you to look and say, okay, that sounds interesting, but I don't, you know, maybe not, or maybe it is. Uh, I'm not saying this is the way it is because I say so. No, okay. So that's how I that's how I read it. Go ahead. Um. That's, that's a really balanced way to look at it, and uh, um, we do have a few other uh, three other questions came in. I think a couple of them should be pretty quick answers. I'll get to those. Uh, and then we've got a third one. So uh, Sister P uh, asks, um, with God being the God of Israel, uh, is this a salvation issue for the rest of the world? Can you say that again? Uh, with God being the God of Israel, or the Holy One of Israel, as, as we talked about today in Isaiah, uh, um, is, is this a salvation issue for the rest of the world? If I understand, tell me if I'm understanding this correctly, uh, Pastor Murray, that identifying God as the Holy One of Israel, is this a salvific issue for the rest of the world? Is that the question? I, that's, how, that's how I would understand the question. I think the answer is a, a, a clear yes. Absolutely. It must be. I think you, you covered this very clearly today, for sure today, and in past studies, that um, there is only one way to salvation, and that is through Jesus Christ. And he is the uh, uh, he came to to um, be the perfect example that Israel couldn't be, so that God could continue to um, keep his covenant with Abraham that he's fulfilled through Israel. I think the answer is, is very clear that there is no other way. Yeah, very good, and I, perfect. Um, second one, another question from Anita. Um, uh, referencing what we were just speaking about with the um, uh, Europe being destroyed culturally, as you were talking about, uh, her follow-up question is: After that change, after that change, it, it is after that change when the USA and Britain will be in trouble. I didn't quite as, follow that. So, as I think, what she's saying is: As as the the, the um, you, you referenced the um, the Islamic culture coming in and, and reproducing it. To every man, you know, 20, 20 to twenty five children, versus the European culture or the Western culture at one zero to two. After this transitions, is that when USA and Britain will be in trouble? After that. Um, After that. And did it USA and Britain? Um, her question is USA and Britain, but I think yeah. it's a little broader scope than that. I think you would agree it would be into Europe and... Yeah, so, 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 so there's Europe, and certain um, countries within Europe are in big trouble already. Sweden, Germany, Correct. France, uh, and certainly England is in huge trouble. Uh, and, and particularly the big cities in England are, are in big trouble. Uh, Canada is in big trouble. I would say right now, America... Uh, while they have this um, very uh, a man of uh, very thick skin uh, and a very strong nationalist and is very passionate about his borders uh, the borders of his country um, and acknowledges Jesus Christ as the God of the Bible 
uh, I would say as long as America can can keep him in play, uh, they have they, they are not as they are not in as much trouble as Europe, the UK, Canada. Um, but you know he's he's one guy. I think if he were to leave the office today, and uh, is it Michael Pence, the vice president? Is Michael? Is that right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, if he were to take over, um, while he's uh, a Christian, a professed Christian. He does not have the, the, the fortitude and the thick skin of the current president. And I, I just don't think he'd be able to stand up to the globalists the way this man has. So it really is a question of, do you, do you buy into globalism or do you believe that nations have a right to, to sovereignty? And, and I believe the current president, as long as America has that, uh, that, that um, how should I say, that backbone, in, in the highest office of the land, which right now is the strongest office in the world, uh, America is not in as much trouble right now as the as the other countries, although America has its own problems and there's all this rivalry from within. You know, it's very, if you look back, how, how did the Byzantine Empire fall? What we say the Roman Empire. How did the Roman Empire fall to, to savages? It's because of all this this internal conflict and bickering and thinking that nothing could ever happen to them and overextending themselves and all the things that we see happening to the U.S. right now. So, and God calls this His work. It's it's His work. So it's His strange work. He calls it His whole work. He calls it His unbelievable work. He calls it His short work. But it's His work, and He's the one raising up the Chaldeans, and He's the one that's going to punish Judah and punish Israel. And we're the ones who have to see all of this. And in, this, in spite of all of this, say to Zion, your God reigns and there's good news. The uh, follow-up question here, uh, a separate question here from Lena, actually. Uh, what, her question is, was there and will there be a future connection of Assyria? And what was the Ottoman Empire? So will there be a, a future connection of the Assyrian Empire and the the Ottoman Empire in the future. And, and while I'm answering this, uh, Murray, I believe that you had some comments as well and thoughts that you wanted to share. So please uh, make sure that you get to, to those things that you had on your mind, that you get to say those. Sure, yeah, yeah, for sure, I will, I will. yeah. Um, so the, uh, what was the Ottoman Empire? And, and that's a great question because I didn't even know what the Ottoman Empire was. It's, it's just recently where I've had to study and uh, I would say without history, we're blind that people who don't know history are blind because history, well, there's a saying, the past is prologue. So if the past is prologue, prologue meaning it's introduction, it's, it's what it, it introduces what's coming. Uh, so if that's prologue and history re repeats itself, if they can be successful in keeping us from history, I think it was George Orwell who said, he who controls the past controls the present. And he, uh, sorry, he who controls the present controls the past. And he who controls the past controls the future. So the, the, the people in power today are trying to rewrite history and hide history. We have to understand the Ottoman Empire. Very quickly, it was uh, an Islamic empire that uh, Osman was this incredible warrior. And he had a, a band of men that were just ruthless. And when the Mongolians came over uh, with Islam, slaughtering everyone, uh, he fought back and, and was able to push them back. But then he adopted Islam. And when he adopted Islam, he was able to offer people 
jisya uh, and and uh, the the twenty percent booty of of that and anything they conquer they could they could uh, distribute it uh, equally among everybody. So he was able to just have this vast army, and with that he went into the Roman Empire and conquered it, and. Uh, and was able to establish this vast empire. It's one of the greatest empires that has ever been in terms of landmass that it covered, uh, far bigger than the Roman Empire. And and it was just great, and it ruled for, from I forget from when to when, but hundreds and hundreds of years. Uh, maybe it was four or five hundred years it was in power until until the First World War. And, and the British and the French managed to conquer it with, with the Americans and brought it down. And then Turkey became a secular country because uh, Ataturk, the, the new uh, ruler, he just said Islam is holding us back because we, they, we, were, we were outgunned. The, the Christian nations had such sophisticated weaponry and we are a backwards people. So he basically outlawed religion and made Turkey a secular country. And that's when we say it died. That it, was, it had a fatal wound. Uh, but now we see Erdogan who comes from the rural areas of uh, Turkey where they held on to their religion and held on to their belief of the grandeur of, of the Ottoman Empire, he's now in power and he's pushing this religious mindset and, and restoring the glory of the Ottoman Empire. So I hope that, that answers the question. Was there another question there? Yeah, there's one more here uh, from JB. Uh, and uh, the question uh, was comment first and then follow, followed up by a question. One of the judgments on Babylon comes because of their sorceries and enchantments. As this is a prophecy, what modern day words would we use instead? You know, sorcer sorceries and enchantments are rather older biblical words or biblical time words. Uh, um, what, what type of mod, how, how would you explain that in, in modern lingo? Yeah, I think uh, we might say something like divinations and uh, uh, pharmacaea drugs. Uh, people who are, you know, these jihadis, they load up on all kinds of pharmaceutical drugs that give them incredible courage, that allow them to blow themselves up, to be fearless in battle. Uh, this is the, the Bible refers to uh, pharmacaea as sorcery. Uh, it's mind-altering. And uh, divinations where they're, um, you know, they're, they're, who they're, when they're praying to their, their idols, um, and, and having their prognostications based on their idols, uh, that these are all this, this spiritualism, maybe we would call it that, uh, spiritualism and any sort of mind-altering, uh, I would call it voodoo, but maybe we just call it pharmaceuticals, uh, all of that I think would be, it's a great question and maybe we can drill down on that a little bit more, but I would say any sort of spiritualism and um, anything that's, that's mind-altering, uh, I would consider sorcery. Uh, in, in today, in, in modern language. Perfect. Yeah, appreciate that. So, yeah, you're asking for my comment. Um, I would just kind of encourage the the listeners and the, the brethren uh, who are listening to um, um, really dig into some of this that we've been studying. We're on week 11 now, um, and you and I have spoken offline quite a bit. Uh, that this is this is really heavy stuff. This is. Um, um, the prophecy of Isaiah explained in in a deeper fashion than I've ever heard before, um, with with explanations that, uh, especially relative to um, uh, replacement theology uh, versus spiritualizing the old covenant, um, and the importance of really understanding what this is, and not to be afraid to jump on the chat 
and ask some questions. Um, I, I certainly didn't understand it right off, right, right away, and, and, and I myself am, am um, uh, continuing to study this as we go through this. So I would just encourage folks to, uh, I know everyone's very appreciative of the studies, we see those in the comments quite frequently, but um, uh, let's not be afraid to jump on and ask for clarification. Um, there's, there's a lot of heavy stuff here that we're all working through, uh, you and I included. So. Uh, that was just my encouragement to, to the group out there to take advantage of these, these chat times to come on and, and uh, ask some questions and and, um, and and see where where perhaps we need to uh, explain it uh, a little deeper or where perhaps uh, there are some follow-up questions. That's great. I appreciate that. And I think there was a there was also a, a question there, Murray. And I, I think the chat as well. It does it does allow us to solidify our understanding and to verify. Am I getting this? Um, and I think that's great that we talk with each other that way. So the chat, uh, for those of you who might not know, it's at cgi.churchonline.org, cgi.churchonline.org, and that's where we, we have our chats. And uh, I wanted to just mention, somebody. I think there was a question in there about Assyria. And so we, we need to look at the ancient maps. So like if you just Google, if you have your Bible software, if you have it, it might have an atlas in there and show you the ancient kingdoms. So, so when Isaiah is talking about Assyria, we need to look at the geography that he was talking about because today we would talk about uh, Iraq, Syria, and Turkey. So the ancient empire of Assyria covered this territory, part of Iraq, part of Turkey, part of Syria. So today, if we're trying to understand what Isaiah saw when he says the Assyrians, then we need to look at that geography because that's what he's talking about. So I think there was a question there about Assyria. Uh, and so the Ottoman I, Empire... I did, I did go back and try to see that. Yeah, there was, yeah. A, there was a question there, yeah. Yeah, so the Ottoman, what we call the Ottoman Empire, uh, which is, uh, Ottoman is more the Latin term, but it's the Osman Empire, um, that would be the Assyrians. Because that's the, that's the land that he came from and that he, con that he conquered. And, and again, as, when we've gone through various chapters in Isaiah and then we've doubled back uh, into uh, Genesis, we can see some of these names being repeatedly used and, and really guiding us to the areas that surround Israel, which um, um, again goes to show that, that uh, um, Isaiah is in fact uh, a mini Bible and brings everything together from Genesis to Revelation and we see the same terminology and, and the Bible clearly can uh, explain itself when, when we get into these, these names and areas and terminologies. Yeah, right on. And I think that was, that was key for me is to realize this is a Bible within the Bible. And so everything that we understand from Genesis to Revelation, excuse me, I kind of picture um, in my mind, I have this image of the old switchboard. When anybody was making a phone call, it had to go to the switchboard. And then they would connect the call to the other to the other party that you're calling. But you called the switchboard operator, and that operator would connect you with the party that you wanted to call. So all phone calls went through this switchboard. That's how I envision Isaiah. That all prophecies, everything from Genesis to Revelation, flows through Isaiah. So whatever understanding we have from Genesis to Revelation, if we can't find it in Isaiah, it's probably incorrect. So that's, uh, that would be the challenge that I put on myself. If whatever I'm reading in, in Genesis or Revelation or anywhere in between, any prophet uh, or, or, or doctrine, if, it's, if it contradicts Isaiah, 
I would be careful. Even when our Lord was on earth, Isaiah was one of the most quoted books. He quoted three books repeatedly. Isaiah, Deuteronomy, because he came to live by every word, and Psalms. And there's a lot of prophecy in Psalms. And so he, he really opened up the prophetic nature of the Psalms. So Psalms, Deuteronomy, and Isaiah. He was just constantly quoting Isaiah. So, so we, and interesting, interesting. Those three uh, books were quoted a lot because they themselves are the are the microcosm of the the law, the writings, and the prophets. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Excellent. Exactly. So they themselves would comprise the, the whole Bible. Right. Uh, one one last point. It's not a question, but it's a, it's a help. Maybe a help for the uh, the listeners. Um, Anita points out that there is an Armor of God a video, an Armor of God episode program called Peace in the Middle East, and it uh, tells quite a bit about the history of the Ottoman Empire, um, and it was a recommended watch. Great, yeah, that's a Peace, peace in the Middle East, great, thank you for that. Uh, yeah, I would highly recommend that, because there's some just some historical context there, and I think one of the greatest curses that the elite have inflicted upon us and upon our children is the slow removal of history from the curriculum so that we don't we don't know what happened before us and we just think that the only thing that matters is us whereas I think people who have a very strong history and I hated history in school um, but they used to teach it at least part of it um, now it's completely optional and whatever they teach is non nonsensical um, so I think we have to do our work ourselves and go back and try to understand the, the significant empires and the significant philosophers and how the world has come to where it is now because that's going to help us have a better read on how it got here and, and where it's going. Um, was there another question in there, Murray? Yeah, there's one more question here um, from uh, Lena. She asks, uh, she makes the comment that the Turks adopted Islam but wants clarification. Uh, uh, she thought that they were Arabs. Is that correct? The Turks adopted Islam but aren't they Arabs? <laughs> okay, that's a great question. And it's a bit of a thorny question. So I'm going to answer the question two ways, and I'm going to contradict myself. So pardon me for doing that. Um, so number one, I'm going to say that the Turks are Arabs, just as the Egyptians are Arabs. Um, you know, so just as the, the Iranians, who are really Persians, are Arabs. That Arab, uh, to be Arab, because of the nature of Islam, when it comes, it conquers, and it wipes out the culture, and it wipes out the language, and it forces people to adopt Arabic. So when we say Arab and, and to Arabize, in fact, if I think it's a, a scripture in, in, um, in Daniel, when he talks about mixed people, the Hebrew word is Arabized people. So, so that word Arab actually comes meaning mixed. Uh, so the Arabs basically spread their language and anybody who then sp speaks Arabic we call the Arab people so in the Middle East all of these different nations we just call them Arabs at the, at the same time however the reason the Ottoman Empire fell is because the real Arabs <laughs> who were in Saudi Arabia, in Arabia um, and felt that they should represent Islam. They despised the Turks, but the Turks were very organized and ruthless. When, when you combine ruthlessness with high administrative and organization skills, they were unstoppable. Uh, but the, 
the Arabs from Arabia, they resented that. And so they colluded with the British and the French to overthrow the Ottomans. So, and, and the Ottomans were ruthless. They, they subjugated all the Arabs. And, and the Arabs hated that. So, you know, Arabs are anybody who's, who adopts Islam in the Middle East and, be, and speaks Arabic. We say they're all, and the, the Arabs will say these are the Arab peoples and they all fight for their rights. But at the same time, the people from Arabia proper are who we would say are the Arabs. And they actually resented the Turks. Appreciate that clarification. That makes that makes uh, a lot of sense. Yeah, some good history uh, lessons there. Um, um, Pastor Maru, well, are there other, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, let me ask you a question because you have been preaching locally on on holiness, and I wonder if you had any comments for our um, our uh, Bible study congregation around how all of this ties into holiness. Uh, sure. Um, so. I started doing a study on, on holiness back uh, from the Feast of Tabernacles relative to um, the fact that God, uh, if you go into Leviticus 23, God demands that uh, we uh, come into his presence on the Sabbath and the, the holy days in a, in a holy manner. Um, and to, to understand what true holiness means, as, as, as you mentioned, we go down into the New Testament, and we see folks like Peter uh, several times talking about the command to be holy, for I am holy. And where he's quoting from is uh, several times is from the book of Leviticus, where the laws, uh, the law of unclean meats, the law of sexual purity, all of these things where God is teaching Israel what it means to be holy. The fact that he wants them to be separate, he wants them to, to behave in a certain way that is worthy of being called the children of God. And that at all times we must be uh, we must be in a holy state because God dwells where holiness is. Um, and there's a great example, and I believe it's in Deuteronomy 23, where He teaches His people how to bury their human waste. And uh, while we can read through that and just sort of says God just just uh, uh, teaching them how to be clean, He actually is very specific there, where He says, "I will walk among you," and I. I I do not walk where it's filthy, and that that's a that's a physical example that we can extend and extrapolate into our behavior. And the fact that we, as God's people, we we must always be in a holy state. And um, quite often, if in our prayers we ask God to to be amongst us, we we use that scripture that says, "Where two or three are gathered in my name, I will be there." So we invite God into our presence. I think as we continue to to uh, move towards His kingdom, and we see the devolving of the, the world around us, and we and we are threatened by some of those uh, those characteristics and qualities of, uh, that is as descriptive of the world we live in today, and seep into the church and seep into the body of Christ. We must be keenly aware at all times that we are in the presence of of, of God Almighty. And at all times, we must behave in a holy manner. And to really dig into the Torah, and quite frankly, Deuteronomy, Isaiah, and Psalms would be a perfect, perfect places to study and understand what it means to be to be holy, and to take that to take that very seriously, um, and ever ever the more seriously as the world uh, devolves. Uh, 
Yeah, right on. It uh, brings to mind the scripture that says, you know, based on this prophetic understanding, the scripture that says, what manner of persons ought you to be, uh, seeing that we understand all these things that are going to come to pass. Absolutely, and that's, that's at the end of Peter, where Peter's really talking about uh, all, all of the, the, the evil and, and, and terrible things that are on the horizon. So despite all of that's going around us, our focus should be who are we, who, what we should we be like, what manner of person should we be. Perfect, perfect. Uh, well, Pastor Marie, I just see it's coming up on uh, 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Central. Uh, I think we can we can stop here, but I really appreciate you um, being on this, and I think just taking the time out to uh, just kind of consolidate what we've what we've covered so far, and uh, answer any questions that come up. I think it's great, and we can certainly do that again in the future. Yes, yes, and uh, hopefully um, you can share your uh, your sermon on holiness uh, on on the chat or in the text in in the uh, chat or or on Facebook. Sure, yeah, I'll do that. I'll do that before we close. Yeah, perfect. All right, uh, thanks so much everyone for joining and uh, God willing, we'll be in Isaiah chapter 48 next week. Thanks, God. thanks again, Pastor Murray. Take care. Okay, God bless.